Let me pray. Father, thank you for this amazing event we remind ourselves of on this great day, this redemption day. You did what we could not do. We could not get ourselves across that great gap between man and God. The gulf was too great. The expanse was too wide. Holy God and sin-stained man. And Lord Jesus, on this day, you came and you did what we could not do. You bridged that gap and we thank you. We have sang about it. We've heard it in testimony. And now we look to your word, Lord, to remind us of the great joy we have in a Savior who died for us. So, Lord, may you be glorified and magnified by all that's said and sung and done here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When you look up Good Friday, it's interesting all the adjectives and words that come referring to it. It is called a, a holy holiday. Um, it's marked in many writings as a religious commemorating of the death or the crucif- crucifixion of Christ. It's, it's part of uh, the Passover observance for the Jews and it kind of falls there together with that. So there's a lot of words given to it. Um, some call it Holy Friday. Some call it Great Friday, Black Friday, Easter Friday. I'm changing it today to Redemption Day. Because <laughs> I just think it is. I, I think it's Redemption Day. It is the day our Lord came and sacrificed his life for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, and this is why I came up with this Redemption Day thinking. Therefore, since children, we, the children of God, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partake of the same. So he took on flesh and blood, he added to his divine nature, humanity. And this is why, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. Anybody know who that is? It was Satan. That's what the verse says. That is the devil. Now listen to this. That he might free those who through fear and death were subject to slavery all their life. That's why it's called Redemption Day. Because we were the ones that were enslaved and and in deep trouble. So this is a glorious day. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to 1 Peter. If not, I have it on the screen um, behind me here. Um, first thought and just some verses I want to just for a few minutes look at tonight and then we'll have a closing song and um, go home and get ready for sunrise service and Easter service on Sunday. But I want to start in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. Here Peter tells us by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says knowing that you were not redeemed, you can see my theme here, with perishable things like silver and gold, from your feudal way of life, inherit it from your forefathers. Well, there's a, re- there's a reason for redemption, and you see it in this verse. It is the idea of this feudal way of life. The idea forms clear in the text here that unredeemed people live an empty, vain, and worthless existence. Is the idea of that word. It's, it's, uh, that's the word of futile. It's empty. And you say, well, well, wait a minute. I saw some of the day driving a nice car and he looked like he had it all. One day that will do nothing for his soul. 
And so here we look at the first reason for redemption is that we had a futile life. There, there was nothing there. The reason being is because we're lost. There's, there's no end to this life that ends in glory. It ends in redemption and the joy of the Lord Jesus before you're saved. There's only death and suffering and separation from God. I, I don't know how you can say futile any worse than that. And yet most of the world has no idea. Think about some of the greatest achievements man does. We put men on the moon, we circle them, now they're trying to get trips to Mars. You can buy your way into that. I don't want to go there. I want to go be with Jesus. I, I want to spend eternity with him. I, I don't want to chase the things of the world. I love what Calvin had to say tonight. That he said God has been teaching him that there is a lot of emptiness out there. You can chase things and, and they're not of God. But the things that treasure are his glory, his presence, the gospel, your family. Pointing your children towards the Lord Jesus Christ. These things are worthwhile. Man hasn't changed though. Jesus said in his day in Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, his life. What does it profit him? The rest of the verse says, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Luke, speaking of um, Jesus, recording in Luke chapter 12, was speaking of a rich man who looked at his fields and he knew he was going to be wealthy, so he tore down his old barns and built bigger barns so that he could put everything in that. And he could sit back and he'd say, eat, drink, and be merry today. Today you've had your fill. Today you have everything you want. In verse 20, Jesus says this, For God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Futile. One of my favorite Spurgeon quotes, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. Spurgeon said this, the only heaven the unredeemed will ever know is what they can gain here on earth. And the only hell the redeemed will ever know is what they will experience in times of suffering here on this earth. We do go through hellish times. Notice in our verse that the Bible says that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. In other words, you can't be bought. Or can you? Were we not bought? We were bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you cannot purchase it. You cannot purchase it. God says, this is not something that you can bring tangible things to in order to attain. In fact, Paul told, told the Ephesus, Ephesus elders that the church of God was purchased with, blood, with the blood of Christ. This was the day Jesus purchased your soul. This day, this night that we commemorate this, he is now off the cross and he is in the tomb now at this time of day. But we remember this. Notice in our verse it says you've inherited from your fathers. This futile way of life you've inherited from your fathers. I think contextually, 
Peter is saying that you've inherited this worthless religious traditions that actually draw people's heart away from God. He's speaking to them. They, they were religious people. But nobody in the Bible that is written to, rarely did you ever, no, in fact, nowhere do you find atheism in the Bible. They were all God-fearing at some level type people that the Bible is often referring to. But they tried to come with their religious acts. And he says, these things are futile. The pride of religiousness becoming a callous shell. And here is Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, and they can't see who he is. Look, if you come to Grace Bible Church, we don't want you to be religious. Religion is dangerous. That gives overtones of, hey, wear the right thing, say the right thing, do the right thing, give the right amount. We want to follow Christ. We want to let him drive our motives, drive our attitudes, drive our desires. We have an inherited sin. The Bible is clear on this. Look at verse 18 again with me. It seems like a problem even beyond the religious aspect. It says inherit it from your forefathers. I think there's room to say there is a depravity in this verse. Romans 5.12 said, Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so there's a problem here. We are in desperate need. So the reason, there's a reason for redemption and to remember it tonight. Second, there's a source for our redemption. Look at the next verse with me. I think it's up there behind me. But with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. There's a redemption. There is, knowing that you are not redeemed by these silver or gold or some religiosity or, or something you've inherited from your forefathers, this depravity, this way of life. But there's something else that we have, and it's blood. And it's not just blood of anything. It's blood of one like an unblemished lamb, one spotless, one perfectly offered to God. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So silver and gold and religious activity does not free man from his sin. It is Jesus. He had to go to that cross. That's why we love tonight. That's why it inspires us and encourages us because he had to go because you and I could not give enough we could not act enough religiously so he had to go book of Isaiah has such a clear depiction of the prophecy of Christ and what was needed Isaiah 52 3 says this for thus says the Lord you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money I love that verse, Isaiah 52, 3. You, were, you will be redeemed without money. You can't buy your way. And, and the purchase was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his blood, Isaiah 53, the next chapter, the great prophetic truth of Christ. Verse 5 says this, but he was pierced through with our, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and his scourging, and by his scourging, we're healed. All of us, like verse 18 and Peter, were like sheep had gone astray. Each had turned to his own way. And maybe you're hearing you going, man, this is somebody else that this is verse is talking about. 
Paul takes care of that in Romans 3. He says there's none righteous, what? No, no, not one. Because there's always somebody who says he must be talking about someone else. But he says all have gone astray. Each man turns to his own way. But the Lord has caused, now look at this, caused our iniquity, this willful sin that we have in our life. He's caused it to fall on him. And he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb, he was led to a slaughter. And like a sheep, silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. See, the resource of our redemption was Christ's blood, the atoning, finished work of Christ. Look at verse 19 again, with precious blood. Notice it's precious. This sacrificial death was precious because it was the only thing that could redeem us. You know, you just think about that. Think about the millions of things in, in life that seem precious to us. And I'm going I'm to push you just a little bit. Some of them are sitting on your lap. They're precious, aren't they, moms and dads? Your husband, your wife, they're precious. Those things are very precious to you. But not one of those things can redeem you. Isn't that amazing? As precious as that is, uh, of those sweet children given by God to us, they cannot redeem you or nor you redeem them. God's word says that Christ's blood was precious. It's valuable. It's, it, it's the most valuable thing we could ever be given. Because Ron said it tonight, without it there is no what? Forgiveness of sins. It's absolutely precious. See, that's why John the Baptist, he knew. When Jesus showed up, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, just think what people were thinking when John said that. Why is this man telling us that that man's a lamb? Because lambs are for sacrifice. They're not just cute and sit in the field and we drive by and say, oh, cute lambs. That, that was not how they thought back then. Especially if you were Jewish, if you were Hebrew, brought up and understood Passover and understood sacrifice. You would, you would say, that man is saying that that man is a sacrifice. He's going to die because of somebody's sins. That's how they would equate it that. And they knew that lambs had to bleed because that blood had to go before the throne. So, so well described in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. I'll start with 10 and work my way back. The Bible says that the law was a, was a shadow of things to come. Unfortunately, too many people try to keep the law. They try to come to God and say, hey, I've kept these from my youth. That doesn't work. We know the rich young ruler in the Bible. They were a shadow of things that had come. Only Christ could fulfill the law. They had to be done every year, the Bible says in chapter 10, verse 1. But in verse 2, otherwise they would have been offered, they would have ceased to have been offered. If they could have done it, if, if, if real lambs and real turtle doves and, and real sacrifices could take away sins, they would cease. So you wouldn't have to do them again, but the Bible says they had to do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And hopefully you did it before you died in hope, maybe, that you did enough. If that's what your faith was in. But the Bible says that was never the plan. Because verse 3 says, those sacrifices were a reminder year after year of sin, and it was impossible in verse 4 for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And then Jesus comes in and says, therefore, 
When he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. To do what? To be the final lamb. No more lambs. No more turtle doves. The final lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at chapter 9, or just listen along, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, meaning what's so fascinating about this text, and quickly, not only is he the lamb, but he's also the high priest. He bleeds his own blood for our redemption, and he carries it into the Holy of Holies, right to God himself. Isn't that fascinating? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not the tabernacle made with hands, not, not the one that came out of the wilderness, and not the one that Solomon built and Herod rebuilt. To say not of this creation, he's saying it's going right into the holy of holies, right into heaven, Christ himself, and not with blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the holy place once and for all of attaining eternal redemption. You can see the picture. Christ, the high priest and the lamb, carrying his own blood into the Father and saying, will this forgive their sins? And he said, that'll do. Done. Done. Bring no more lambs. Bring no more blood. It's finished. That's what happened this night. That's what happened this night, 2,000 years ago. The resource of our redemption is Christ's blood. Third, the arrangement of our redemption. Look at verse 20 with me as we go back to our text. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. I love this verse. It tells me that it wasn't like, well, God said, oh, man, they really blew it down there. Scott Menez is on the earth, and it's a mess. You can put your name in there if you want to help me out a little bit. The Bible says he foreknew this. That in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereignty, he could look down. He knew, he knew all of this. As he looked down all of creation and all of time. He knew men would fail. He knew men would reject him. And in his plan, before there was anything, planned this. Planned to have his son die for our sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says, This man, referring to Jesus Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. That little and links those thoughts in complete equality. Predetermined plan, foreknowledge of God. Responsible for man? Yes, you nailed him to the tree. Man's still responsible for sin. But God planned his death. That, that's staggering. Is that not humble to you tonight? That God planned his son's death so you and I could walk into the pearly gates, walk into his presence and spend eternity there. What a gracious God he is. I often thought about just a little bit before this time at night when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea go and they ask for the body of Christ. You remember this? They ask for the body of Christ. That must have not been an easy job. They had to get him off that cross with nails through his hands and his feet. They had to get him down and his body's limp. It's called dead weight now. There's a crown of thorns crushed into his head. I can only, and this is my, own, my interpretation, that one of them pulls that off and throws it. 
and they take that, that body, not totally understanding. Um, Nicodemus had been with the Lord. It seems though something's happened radically in Nicodemus' life that he would put his, his position as part of the Sanhedrin on the line. Many, many historians believe that probably these men died. They were martyred later for doing this because we never see them again in history. And they take that body and they lay him in a tomb, un, un, uh, a tomb never laid in before. And not completely understanding what went on. And yet the father is so pleased that just in another day, another day is going to pass by. The third day is going to come and day is going to break and he's going to raise his son from the dead. And Nicodemus and Joseph Aramarathia's sins are going to be wiped out, completely taken. Their slate is going to be clean because their faith is in Jesus Christ. And God arranged all this. He arranged all this. Great depiction of the cross. You know, Ted read our scriptures tonight, and it just says they came to Golgotha and they crucified him. Doesn't tell us about nails or nothing in there. It's not actually until you get to Psalms 22 that we see the great prophetic of it. The Bible says this, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Bashan was a place where it had great pastures and they were known for raising tremendous cattle of great size. And he equates this to the crowd that, that are huge and out of control and mocking him. And a thousand years before the cross, here's David writing an inspired psalm that certainly David is going through something and there's an understanding that he's communicating his sorrow, what's going on, but God is writing beyond him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, they opened their mouth at me. They roared like a lion at me and I poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Melting within me, my strength is dried up like a pot shearer. My tongue cleaves to my jaw. You understand what's going on. This is clear description of suffering. They pierce my hands and my feet. Evildoers encompass me. My bones, I can count them. And so on and so on. All arranged by God. God arranged that suffering so that you and I could be free from it. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son to die for us. While you're still wretched person, Scott, none deserving of anything, not deserving of God's grace, God sent his son. Notice in the verse it says, but it has appeared in these last days for your sake. Boy, is that true. And you and I love him, not because we loved him first, but the Bible says that he loved us first. And we know love because he laid down his life for us. So you understand love. And you say, well, I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. You understand what true love is. Despite what the world identifies love, all because Christ hung on a cross. That's how you understand love as a Christian. You do not understand it from what got passed down to your parents. You understand a physical love. You may understand even an emotional love that you have for somebody. But to really understand love is understood through the cross, the Bible says. That's love. You and I just sang some incredible, lovely truths about God. Last thought. 
the resurrection and our redemption. We're gonna look at this more on Sunday morning. I can't wait for sunrise and for church. I have two different passages that I'm about ready to explode to preach, but I'll hold on through tomorrow. By the way, we had once said that we would cancel if it rained, and then I got studying of these women who went to the tomb that risked their entire lives to go to the tomb to care for the body of Jesus. And I said, we're having this thing rain or shine. So we're going. Bring your slicker if it's raining. Look at verse 21 here. Who through him are believers. I love that little phrase. Through Jesus, you're a believer in God. People say, well, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, no, I don't really know Jesus. Well, then you don't. You're not a believer. We believe in God through Jesus Christ. And God, God raised him from the dead, the text says, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So if you believe the Bible is God's inerrant word, then you know that you are a believer because God in Christ finished everything on the cross. That's what makes you a believer. You believe that it was finished. You believe that Jesus did it all. What constitutes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what constitutes a Christian, a true Christ follower, is one who places their entire faith in Christ and adds nothing to it. That is a Christian. And if you don't, if you're here today and you don't, haven't put your entire faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the only way, you're not a Christian. Or you are a Christian because you put your faith in that. You've added nothing. Lord, I say empty hands. I, I have nothing in my hands. They're empty. Simply to your cross I cling. And so Jesus is in the grave and God does an amazing thing to prove that your sins are forgiven and completely dealt with. He raises them from the dead, the Bible says in this verse. In other words, the resurrection is God's unmistakable, powerful proof that Jesus was the sacrifice for sin for you and that he had accomplished God's redemptive plan that he laid down before the foundations of the world and he raised him to the dead and said, that's a stamp that you're free. Amen? The Bible says that he who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised for our justification. Proves our justification. You're free. You're free. And then just lastly, it says, God gave him glory. We, we just preached through this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, that God gave him everything, right? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus spoke to me. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. God gave him it. He gave him a name above all names. He called him Lord. And at your name, Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. He gave him this. So what a night. What a night this is. Are you redeemed? Are you remembering Redemption Day this evening? Calvin told us about the day he was redeemed. What day were you redeemed? Do you know when you were redeemed? Do you know? Can you say, I know when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when God gave me the ability to put my faith, because I couldn't do it on my own, but he opened my eyes, he opened my heart, and that day I know when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he redeemed me. Do you know that day? You really don't want to leave here without knowing that. It's, it's an eternal danger for you to do that. See, we're not like the religious world. We reject our own good works. 
We reject our own righteousness. We reject our own ability to redeem ourselves. We're not like the religious world as believers. It is really freeing because you and I never have to do this. Did I do enough? Christ dumped the scales. Deal's done. Amen? Let's pray and sing. Father, thank you for sending your son. He did what we could not do. And we thank you for this redemption day 2,000 years ago that he hung on that cross, Lord. He, he took the brunt, Lord, and, and, and Father, you, you really did abuse him in a way. You, you took our sins and made him pay for them. He did not deserve that. He was innocent of it. But Father, you knew that we had no hope. There was no way to bridge the gap. And so you made Redemption Day on Friday. And though the world did not understand it, you knew Sunday was coming and you were going to put the stamp on it that show and prove that our sins were forgiven. Atonement had been made. It was finished. It was done. And we stand justified and sanctified before an almighty God for eternity when our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. So Lord, I beg you for all of the souls in this room, Lord, Men and women, boys and girls, faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And stir our hearts to live lives, Lord, where our treasure is not on earthly things. Lord, though you may give us homes and cars and, and finances to be stewards of, Lord, it is not our treasure. Our treasure is your son. And so may we treasure him greatly this weekend and next weekend and the one after that until you come and get us. And we'll give you glory for eternity for those things. In Jesus' name, amen.